my identity as a business person and as a mother were collapsing. You know, I was not a great mother helping my ill child. I was not a great business person. So who was I? I was like nothing. And I was very depressed about that. I remember I was in a hotel room on one of these business trips and I said um, out loud, and it, I certainly did not think of it as a prayer and I was not in any way intentionally talking to God, but I just said, wow, I give up. I don't know what to do. Like, I cannot fix this. And I just had never said that before. I'd never said that out loud. And of course, now I see that as a prayer, as, as you know, the, the white flag. And after that is when God just came into my life in these really systematic ways. Hello, and thanks for joining in. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we see how skeptics flip the record of their lives. Each podcast, we listen to someone who has once been a skeptic, but who unexpectedly became a Christian, to learn from their perspectives, both as someone who resisted God, and then as someone who not only found God, but is also a follower of Jesus Christ. Achievement and success often drive us. Unmoored to God, Skeptics often believe they can take life by storm and find its fullness and fulfillment on their own. They don't need God. As poet William Ernest Hensley penned, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my ship. Sometimes after reaching the summit of personal or professional success and the best of what the world has to offer, We're often left with a sense of emptiness after the temporary glory recedes, wondering, is this all there is? In my research with former atheists, while many reported a positive sense of satisfaction within atheism prior to conversion, slightly more than half, 54%, did not find atheism to be generally satisfying, but soberly accepted it as truth. This begs the question, were they willing to ask the deeper question? Is this all that life has to offer? It is in this moment of existential reflection that a decision is often made to either keep on keeping on or to search for something different or something more. Someone may become open to that which was completely walled off before or not. That's part of our story today. Sue found the height of success in Silicon Valley and had a wonderful family life. She had a good life, but somehow it didn't ultimately satisfy her soul. It set her on a journey of searching for something more. I hope you'll join in to hear her whole story. Not only what informed her skepticism, her agnosticism, but also what allowed her to reconsider what she once thought so repulsive and irrelevant. This should be interesting. Welcome to the podcast, Sue. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you. It's it's great to be here. As we're getting started, so the listeners know a little bit about you, why don't you tell me a bit about who you are, where you live, perhaps what you do? Yeah, so I live here in Northern California, a little town called Pacifica on the beach. 
I have a wonderful husband who surfs, which is why we're out here by the beach, and three teenagers. One is a sophomore in college, the other is a senior in high school, and then the other is a sophomore in high school. Um, I work at Salesforce. I'm a senior director of content experience, so basically documentation and videos. And uh, I kind of grew up in, in Utah and Colorado. Wonderful. Um, so you grew up and you said Utah and Colorado. Let's let's start back there. Tell yeah, me, so, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Also, not only where you grew up, but your family, your your community, your friends. Was there any sense of God or religion in your growing up years? So I grew up in a town called Layton, Utah, which at the time was ninety five percent. LDS, Latter-day Saints, or also known as Mormon. And we were not that. Um, we, my, my parents were Christian. And, and at the time, I, I have this vague memory of going to uh, a children's church meeting, but we kind of walked away from that. Um, they had a falling out with that church pretty early on. So I have a vague memory, but then we were pr pretty much agnostic, tried a few different churches throughout that time. But the key was that we were not LDS in this, you know, very LDS environment. So the impact of that is two things. One is that I was an outsider. I really couldn't, you know, do all of the events with all the other kids. They would talk about things like their ward and I just wasn't part of that. And then also my family and myself in particular were the target of evangelism. So pretty hardcore evangelism, pretty interesting attempts at evangelism. It felt at times like the whole town wanted to convert my family. So I developed this huge wall against religion of all types and just decided that was not for me. I wanted nothing to do with it. You know, if that was the impact of it, of making me feel like an outsider and, you know, making me feel pressured, then I didn't want anything to do with it. And I kind of developed this, um, I, I was pretty much anti-religious, I would say. I, I mean, I was that friend in college that was sending, you know, articles disproving this and that to my friends of faith and having deep, long discussions about how illogical it was and irrational it was. And, and I really felt like I didn't need that in my life. So this, this, these walls that you built towards religion, and that persisted, it sounds like, all through your childhood. Even when your parents were nominally Christian or whatever, there was, there was no faith on your part. There was no real belief on your part. And then you just became adverse to any sort of religion. I can't imagine feeling like such an outsider in such a religiously dominated world of which you were not a part and they were aggressively pursuing you. What, what must have that felt like? I mean, if you resisted it to a point of antipathy, you know, you yeah. wanted nothing to do with it. What would that feel like? What would that sense of, I guess that informed your understanding of who God must be, right? It was, yeah. And I definitely don't want to demonize that environment because they were also incredibly loving. I mean, one of the kindest environments you can ever imagine is just about anywhere in Utah. Um, so I look back very fondly and have many friends who are LDS back then and now. So definitely not in any way trying to paint it in a too negative of a light. But there were a few moments I, I know I once I got invited to a what I thought was just a um, snowmobiling weekend with some friends. And it turned out that it was that but it was also a chance to sort of get me a little bit isolated and both the kids and parents 
kind of surrounding me in, in an attempt to convert me. So it was quite odd and, and pretty traumatizing. I think I was maybe 10. So uh, yeah, that kind of, I built that wall. And then the, the repeated attempts of my mom to get me to go to church. And I found it so boring. My sister and I would just write notes about how horrible it was to each other. Um, I really did think this was just irrational and, and quite unpleasant. So obviously it wasn't worthy of belief and, and not logical, rational. So what did you think belief in God and Christianity was for whether it was Protestant Christianity or LDS, what did you think religion was if it wasn't, I guess, true for you? Yeah. I, I just thought it was a crutch. You know, I thought, well, that's nice for you that you need that little pick me up to, you know, keep you going. And you can pretend that there's something bigger than, than this world. Uh, and then I also thought it was just superstition. I had a friend who wasn't really very Christian, but she would say things like, I just felt something. I felt a presence or, you know, sometimes I feel like somebody's here and I would just kind of internally laugh. I and mean, there's a lot of arrogance in me all these years, you know, of like, okay, you can go on and think that. But I just felt like I, I, I wouldn't call myself an atheist. I wouldn't say I said there's no God. I just would simply say, huh, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It doesn't really impact my life terribly. I'm, you know, going to focus on driving my own future. Just captain of your own ship. Yeah. So it sounds like you did encounter some people who were Christians growing up. It just didn't sound like something you wanted to be a part of. Yeah. In fact, my parents, because the public school was so um, heavily LDS, they pulled me out and they put me in a Catholic school for high school. Oh, <laughs> but okay. that also was a pretty negative experience. I remember in uh, we had to take, you know, religion class and it was led by a priest. And I we were supposed to journal about what we were learning about. And in my journal, I would ask questions like, I'm not so sure about this. And I wonder about that. And I'll never forget when he was returning our journals, it was it was kind of a U-shaped classroom, maybe about 20 students. And he threw mine across the tables and he said, see me after class. And uh, when I and I was terrified and I was very much a people pleaser. So that was really shocking, you know, and embarrassing. And, and afterwards, he said, don't ever question my authority. So I was quite, you know, in some ways traumatized by Catholicism and by kind of the more Christian angle of things as well, had very few positive experiences related to that. So that makes sense to me. So that when you actually went to university, it, it was something that you wanted to fight against, or you said argue with or, mm -hmm. or whatnot, that, that it was not something that was even an option for you. Oh, absolutely not an option. And, and I was quite angry about it and wanted to debate and sort of fight that the whole notion of it. I'm curious when, when you wanted to fight the whole notion of it and you ran into Christians in university, did anyone have any kind of rational, logical, evidential answer, anything solid or substantive to come back against? Or were you, were you even open to listening what a Christian had to say? 
I don't know that I was actually open, um, but I had wonderful examples of Christians in my life. I really did. Um, I dated a, a man for three years who was devoutly Christian and tried so hard to get me to convert. Um, he even had his father to call me and try to convince me. And and I worked with really amazing people as well. None of that really softened my heart. I mean, it just didn't penetrate at all. I didn't hate Christians, certainly, and I didn't um, think that these people were illogical, but I just felt like, well, that's fine that you need that. You know, I accepted that, but in no way got me to change my mind, Mm. really nothing that they said. So it was just a psychological crutch, something for people to have a sense of belonging, perhaps. Um, or maybe they were just raised that way. And so, yeah. of course, they would think that way, you know. Right. So um, a little bit of maybe even brainwashing, you know. Right. We're all brainwashed in some way. We're all products of our environment. So, of course, they would be too. So right. that was what I thought. Okay. So that that kind of uh, perception of religion and Christianity and belief in God, how long did that persist? Uh, you said you... You went, you went through college and you started in the business world. I presume yeah, you, I mean, you can, your, entire... your agnosticism continued. And, and tell me yeah. about that part of your life. When you I mean, were... my entire career, my entire life, you know, I was perfectly fine without God and really did not pursue it in any way. Um, met my husband. We have, you know, three wonderful kids. And, you know, we would... Occasionally, you know, we like for Christmas, we thought, yeah, it'd be good to teach them about Jesus, you know, just kind of informationally, this person existed and this is what people believe about him Um, very lightly, you know, and then sort of immediately taught them, you know, nobody really knows the truth. And so, you know, explore things as you wish. We didn't want to create a pushy environment for them where they couldn't ask questions and where, Um, There was only one right way. And, you know, that was really important to us. And I think we did raise, you know, kids that question and that um, hopefully don't feel pressured by us. Um, But I never personally pursued religion in any way during that period, other than just saying, yeah, maybe, who knows, you know, not making a big deal of it. Okay. And and during that time, too, you were achieving quite a bit of success in your own personal or business career, weren't you? Yeah, the, um, I've, I have been very blessed. I put it that way now, as opposed to, um, you know, I was doing so great. But I had wonderful, wonderful parents that supported me. And I was, you know, had the opportunity and privilege to get an education and a graduate education and, um, have always worked hard. So, you know, that can get you pretty far. And I ended up in, um, I started a PhD program in English and then found there's no real market for that field, but luckily that you could translate that into tech. So I got a, a job in tech writing, which was really satisfying and very uh, marketable. Did that for two different companies for about 14 years. And then after that, landed at Salesforce as a technical writer and then moved on to management. And that's kind of where I am now. I lead you know multiple teams of writers and engineers documenting our product. So really satisfying, super uh, exciting career journey, very, very fulfilling, you know, life. And, and on the side, 
wonderful husband and, and friends. So I wasn't feeling this huge gap. I wasn't, you know, hitting rock bottom. I, you know, things were pretty good. Mm-hmm. So if things were going so well without God or any of that, any, any crutch, and you were achieving all of these wonderful things and you had a terrific life and family and, and career, what caused you to stop and think or wonder or change course? What, what was going on? Yeah. So I think I did have to hit rock bottom in some way. Um, So while things were going well, at some point in my career, I started to just feel dissatisfied. I thought, okay, I have everything. And I mean, literally in a tower, you know, in in San Francisco, we have these enormous Salesforce towers. And I'd be looking out thinking, I've got a great team, great family, great job. Like, why am I dissatisfied? What is wrong? You know? And so, so I had a kind of a void in my life and I could not put my finger on it. And so I figured, well, it must be my job. Maybe I'm supposed to do something more meaningful. So, so what, what is it that changed for you? Um, if you had the good life, what is it that made you perhaps stop and think that maybe God is worth thinking about? Well, I, I definitely never considered it. It really had to kind of push itself into my life pretty aggressively. So the way it all happened is I I had this great life, but I was still starting to feel dissatisfied for some vague reason. I would look around and think I've got everything. So why am I feeling kind of dissatisfied? And so I figured it must be my job. Maybe I'm supposed to do something more meaningful than technical writing um, with my job. Maybe I'm supposed to make this big impact on the world or help people, you know? I had this desire for more meaning. And so I quit my job and pursued a new role that was kind of on the surface more meaningful. It was leadership development, teaching you know managers across these Fortune 500 companies how to be ethical and humane and kind and, and follow best practices. And it, it was really exciting. You know, I was traveling around the world making this impact. Managers would come up to me. One manager said, this changed my life, you know, and I thought, wow, you know, and I that's got to fill that void, you know, and I tried to push it in there and it didn't fill the void. And so that was really scary. Like this is not solving that need. Well, what is that need? And then a couple things happened that really made this kind of a high priority, this, this pursuit of meaning. And one is that this job was not what I thought it was. It wasn't just teaching. It was also selling these classes. And it turns out I'm terrible at sales. So I was just, just, falling flat on my face. I'd never failed before in life, really, Mm -hmm. you know, a straight A student and, you know, career progression. And that was shocking. I mean, I I, I think I sold $7,000 out of a $700,000 quota, like 1%, you know, everything kept failing. I'd, Mm -hmm. I'd get close to a huge deal and it would fall apart. So that was really devastating to my identity because I was a business success, you know, and that evaporated. And then on the home front, so I have a son with special needs that were, and those needs were just starting to show themselves right about this time. And so health wise, all sorts of problems were happening with him. And we just were not able to find the help that we needed. Everything was like a shut door and just, you know, so I was kind of like my identity as a business person and as a mother were collapsing. You know, I was not a great mother helping my ill child. I was not a great business person. So who was I? I was like nothing. And I was very depressed about that. I remember I was in a hotel room on one of these business trips and I said um, out loud, 
and it, I certainly did not think of it as a prayer and I was not in any way intentionally talking to God, but I just said, wow, I give up. I don't know what to do. Like I cannot fix this. And I just had never said that before. I'd never said that out loud. And of course, now I see that as a prayer, as, as you know, the, the white flag. And after that is when God just came into my life in these really systematic ways. I'd like to pause for a moment and tell you about the C.S. Lewis Institute. We are living in a day and time when Christianity is being increasingly marginalized and even canceled, when distractions are prevalent and intentionality towards spiritual growth is curbed. More than ever, we are in need of deeper intentional discipleship as we face challenges in today's world. The C.S. Lewis Institute is here to serve you your study groups, and your church in creating mature disciples who know and live out their biblically grounded faith in Jesus Christ. They provide thoughtful, intelligent resources for individuals, groups, and Bible studies. They provide a year-long fellows program for spiritual growth among like-minded Christians pursuing faith in a serious, structured way. And they host events with respected Christian authors and thinkers to help us understand scripture and the Christian worldview. They also help us engage culture in effective ways. We hope you'll not only take a look at these offerings, but also prayerfully consider donating to this ministry. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis Institute and give by going to our website at www.cslewisinstitute.org. Now back to our story. Wow. Wow. So that was a major turn of events. So you were praying even though you really didn't know it was a prayer. (laughs) It was that point of, I guess, laying whatever you held of yourself down and saying, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Some point of surrender, but you really, it wasn't real clear at that point, I'm sure, what you were surrendering to or to whom. Yeah. Um, so, but things changed. So tell me yes. about that. Yeah. So very weird set of things started to happen right after that. I mean, just immediately I woke up the next day um, and I was, you know, I flew home and, and I remember had this huge desire to listen to Christian music, which I had never wanted to listen to before. I, in fact, I used to mock and I used to say, this is so cheesy and I didn't even know how to find it, but I just went to Spotify I, this urge was so great. And I typed God <laughs> and and up came this really beautiful music. And I just found it enthralling. I mean, I could not stop listening to this. It just was kind of filling me up in some strange way. I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't want my family to know too. I had, I would listen on headphones and things. So that was one. Um, and then shortly after that, I was reading through some medical material for my son. And weirdly in this medical article, there was a paragraph about God and it didn't fit. And it said, um, you know, it it was talking about how, how belief in God can be as healing or more healing than any kind of medication. And it was saying, you know, we are surrounded by a a world created by God. And that was weirdly appealing and filling me up as well. And what it made me do is picture somebody in my head from my past Clear as day, I thought of my kid's old karate teacher who 
I knew he, he had invited me to church once. And I used to, I, I turned him down, you know, and, and, but I remember I used to sit in the back of the karate studio and watch how he trained the kids, no matter how good or bad they were, no matter how old or young they were, even the parents would, would take his class with him. He loved them. He loved them for who they were, you know, and just was like this funnel of love in a way that I had never seen before. And he was who popped to mind. And I thought, oh, yeah, he invited me to church. And and like I somehow got the courage to text him. I had his number and I said, you know, long time, no chat. And can I go to church with you? <laughs> and he said, no, no, I'm just kidding. Said, <laughs> of course. And then that was a, a really kind of big moment for me. I bet he was shocked. Yeah. He was out of the blue. Yeah. I didn't even tell my husband, you know, that I was going through all of this. It was all just kind of keeping it inside at this point. So then you went to church with him for the first time as an adult. Curious, I presume. Yeah. I had taken okay. my, my middle daughter had, had expressed curiosity once and I had taken her to a couple churches, I think, you know, just trying to allow her to question and everything. But, but yeah, the, for the first time in, on my own volition, I went to church and it was this tiny little church in my town of Pacifica. And I walked in and it was like a pretty transformative experience. I remember sitting in the back and the, um, the pastor was talking about prayer and the power of prayer. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm, I'm going through all of these hard times right now. And I had been searching for therapists and searching for, you know, solutions and, you know, top 10 lists and reading blogs. How do you solve your own thing? And I thought, I never thought of prayer, you know, and uh, at the very end, and I was, I remember crying. For some reason I was in the back crying. And at the very end, mm -hmm. these two people went to under this big cross and they said, um, if anybody wants prayer, we'll be right here. And I was like, oh my gosh. So something gave me the courage to go up to them. I'd never asked for prayer or been prayed over in my life. And I just said, you know, can you pray for me? And they put their arms around me and said this beautiful prayer. And I was crying, you know, and I just thought, wow, there is something real happening here. And, you know, that that made an, a really big impression. I was very confused, but I kind of drove home in tears and dried my tears and just thought, I don't really know what's going on here. But that, that was a big, a big step. That would be a big step from someone who is rather agnostic and really resistant to God for so long. And then you surrendered in some way and became open. And then somehow he shows up. You feel yes. in a sense, a palpable reality that there is something more than you had thought. Absolutely. Before. So um, I guess at that point you're, you were very open to exploring whatever this was. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, so I was kind of sitting with all of this and I was going on a business trip, another business trip. So I, while I was there, I was unpacking my things and um, I got a text from this karate teacher and I was still in the wrong job and still, you know, unable to fix the situation with my son's health. And, and, and this text said, Sue, I pray that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to you today. How did you feel about that? Did you understand that language? Did that seem kind of weird? Or, uh, I can't you know, imagine. I did not understand it, but I felt it. 
I understood the feeling of it. I, mm. I understood that this man took time out of his day to send me a prayer, you know, to send me something quite bold. I mean, it makes me almost want to tear up now. Like I sat on the bed just holding my phone, like holding this prayer. Like this was just pure love in my hands, you know, unsolicited love. And I, I will never forget that, how powerful that felt, you know, even though I didn't understand it. And so I sat there and just kind of meditated on it. And it was only about 30 minutes later, I get a phone call. And I'm thinking, okay, what's this about? And it's my aunt, my aunt Jean in Texas, who of course would not have had any contact with this karate teacher. And she sounded really nervous. And she said, Sue, this is going to sound weird, but I'm supposed to call you right now. And I'm supposed to tell you about God. Wow. And of course I thought, Oh my gosh, like I just got this text from, you know, the karate teacher almost preparing me for this call. You know, I feel, I feel to my, my soul that God heard the karate teacher's prayer and really compelled my aunt to call me because we had never talked about religion before. I mean, I knew she was a Christian, but I um, had no interest in it my whole life. And so it was quite bold for her to call me. And I said, what made you call me? And she said, well, you know, when Missy died, Missy was her daughter who had died of an aneurysm many, many years long ago. And she said, I felt the same urge to call her, this urge from God to call her. And I didn't. And I always regretted it, you know, because that night, um, maybe I could have called her before the aneurysm. Maybe I could have told her I, I loved her, you know. And so she said, I vowed that if I ever got that feeling again, I would obey it. And I had that feeling tonight. I'm supposed to call you. It's, it's very powerful. And she didn't preach and she didn't um, lecture. She just told me what it meant to have God in her life and to be able to pray. And, and she told me stories. She told me two to three stories of God showing up in her life and lifting burdens and, and transforming things. And it was so beautiful. You know, it was just, I was absolutely in the presence of something. And I had a decision at the end of it, you know, what am I going to do with this? Is this like the wildest coincidence or is it real? So I was kind of at that, that moment as the call was ending. Yeah, I would imagine you would, as she's speaking about God showing up in her life, I can't, um, imagine that you wouldn't be thinking is God showing up in my life <laughs> right now right. Uh, that, yeah, that the, it couldn't be coincidence 30 minutes from the text. Yeah, and it had been yeah. years since her, she had felt that urge and it's, and then it's all on you. Yeah. Uh, it, it would hard not, it would be hard not to think that um, C.S. Lewis's terms, the hounds of heaven are yes. kind of, focused on you at that moment and that you felt that in some way how did yeah. how did you respond to this uh this kind of focused personal attention from god well i mean i had to decide in my head is this really god you know i mean because it that's that whole 30 minutes was really a decision point before it was like wow this is weird now it's like wow i think god might very well be real you know <laughs> 
oh my god and to to and i'll never forget that kind of decision because it's it's like a door opening to a universe it's like you realizing what you thought of as the universe was actually like a room and opening the door and seeing like there's an entire world out there there's an entire existence there's an entire way of thinking and living and being there's a God, there is a God, there is God, the God. And, and all of that, you know, I just couldn't deny it anymore. You know, I couldn't deny what had happened, like physically, like these things did happen. I have the text, you know, I, I even like snapshotted on my phone, the time that Aunt Jean called, you know, I wanted this evidence, these things happened. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I can't deny that. And then I can't deny how I feel, which is just, what it felt like. My mom passed away a long time ago. We were best friends. She had cancer and, and it felt like I was being held by her. That's what it felt like is like being in the arms of someone that loves you more than anything else. Wow. That's so I just, profound, very powerful yeah. language. You're I decided, me. you know, I would verbalize that before we hung up. And I just said, I believe you, which was a big step actually really saying I believe in God right. I think it's true and and we hung up and real yeah yeah so that was a major turn for you I I imagine that your your husband was a bit surprised your yeah. your daughters or children were surprised tell me about that yeah um well I'll tell kind of the next phase first which was okay. still I had to process all of that. Okay. So I remember after we kind of hung up, I, I fell to the floor really, and just sobbed for like three hours, really thinking back on a whole life of taking credit for the blessings that I had been given, you know, taking credit and knowing like the whole time God was there, you know, the whole time he was doing it for me, like, and, and how unappreciative I felt and, and how um, just really sorry I felt, you know, and I remember trying to pray and like words wouldn't come out. And then finally, once I went through all of that, I, I realized what I needed, what my prayer would be. My first real prayer to God um, was, I'm sorry. And I could verbalize that. And it was like instant forgiveness, instant like load off my shoulders, instant um, just euphoria almost. And I texted the karate teacher back and I said, uh, you're not going to believe what just <laughs> happened. And he said, praise God, get a Bible and read John. So I found a Bible and I, you know, and I, that kind of started this journey. And I went back home after that. And I, I went, I stumbled back in this church and I, I told the pastor and a couple others, like, how do you give your life to Jesus? <laughs> okay. And he said, it just let's talk about it. You know, let's, let's pray. And we just said a really messy prayer. And like, that was, I feel like I had already converted in a way in the hotel room, but that was nice to verbalize it and just say, I give my life to Jesus, to following Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, then go, how do I integrate that back into my life? I, I'm really careful about not talking about my family in public um, just to protect their privacy. Sure. But I can just share real vaguely that um, definitely it was shocking to have your mom come home as a born again Christian. I say that proudly. I'm a, I'm a born again Christian, um, even though I know that carries a lot of negative connotation. And I would have, you know, never thought I would ever say that. Um, 
that's pretty shocking to your family. But we had lots of really good conversations and, um, you know, it, it turned out to be just a wonderful thing for all of us. And I, you know, now tell my story like here and they're very, very proud of me for kind of all of the, all of this growth and change. Yes. And I would imagine so, and how wonderful to have that kind of support. Yes. Calling yourself a born again Christian that does carry with it um, a lot of preconceived notions and connotations. I imagine working in Northern California, are you Silicon Valley? How is that received as a successful businesswoman in Northern California in the business place, in the workplace? How is being a born again Christian taken? I would imagine that would have challenges of its own. Yeah. So that was, that was an interesting part of all of this. You know, I feel like, um, it was only a few weeks after I converted that, or maybe a few months that I got an offer to come back to Salesforce. So I feel like that was a gift from God and that it was, I was there not just for myself, not just to make me happy, but to, um, to bring faith, to make it safe to, to have a faith in the workplace. And so I wasn't sure how to do that, but I was really clear that that was part of the reason I was coming back there is to, to be a leader of this movement within the workplace. And so I, I was very scared. Like I didn't even want to wear my cross at first or tell people about it. You know, I was really scared. I remember I, I started by wearing a, it was like a flower cross. So you could, it almost didn't look like a cross, you know, and I would wear it to one meeting and I think, okay, well, nothing bad happened. Nobody mocked me. Nobody yelled at me. Maybe I can wear it to two meetings. And then I eventually, you know, wore it all day and made it a real cross. And, and as I was testing the waters there too, I, the, I, I also was searching for people that were professing anything related to faith, maybe like a, in their, their, uh, you know, their signature on their email. I noticed somebody had like a Bible verse and I noticed someone else had posted something about faith. And so I, I kind of found them and we, we started a, a, a quick little Bible study, a prayer group, and it, it grew, it grew from like two to five to now it's hundreds of people all around the world. Wow. Very quickly. But then that, that wasn't the whole story that that's, that's great to have that and have, you know, a safe place to pray and, and talk about your faith in the workplace. And most companies are kind of growingly having things like that, but that wasn't, still a kind of top-down initiative. So that's kind of another thing that I, I focused on is, is how do we have faith be recognized as a legitimate form of identity? You know, for, for some people, their faith is their number one identifier over their gender or race or cultural background. And so what about those folks when we say, can you bring your full authentic self to work? If that's your number one identifier, you should be able to. In fact, that should be celebrated. You know, as long as you're not pushing it on others, you shouldn't have to hide it. In fact, that will kind of lead you to to probably leave if you can't express that side of you. So we we worked with the leaders and and formed Faith Force, which is a, an official employee resource group at Salesforce, and it's hugely popular. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about the monthly resource at the C.S. Lewis Institute. The Institute has a wealth of resources available to you which encourage discipleship in the legacy of C.S. Lewis, 
through deepening, strengthening, and living out your faith through your mind, heart, and hands. This month, the C.S. Lewis Institute is highlighting resources that help and encourage you to share your faith with those who don't know Christ. On their website, you'll find articles, videos, podcasts, study courses, and recommended readings. To find all of these helpful materials, please go to cslewisinstitute.org forward slash sharing your faith. Now, back to our story. That's fantastic. Very, very bold, and I think innovative and really courageous in this moment. Uh, I like the way that you you say that is that identity and the number one marker you typically in Christianity is that you are, that's, that's who you are and yeah. you, and as your primary identifier as a follower of Christ and all of those other things are secondary to that. Um, and thinking about your story, thinking way back when you criticized belief in God and Christianity as irrational and illogical uh, as a crutch, I can imagine the skeptic listening to your story and saying, oh, she just kind of had a powerful experience of God. Yeah. She's now one of those who <laughs> needs God as a crutch. Um, so, and you're, you're an intelligent woman and a thinker and very rational. So how, how did you fuse those two things together in terms of justification for the things that you believe? Yeah. Well, I, I started studying in great depth, um, found some some really trusted mentors to kind of help me through that. And and what I found was good data. You know, what I found was um, these, you know, no, almost nobody denies that Jesus existed. Like very few people deny that and, and or deny that he was crucified. Um, nobody denies that he had followers, that he had these apostles that um, kind of spread his message all around the world. There's enough evidence of that that is, you know, not necessarily historical, not necessarily written by other Christians. Um, and we know that it was obviously Christ got crucified. So obviously it was very risky to express this um, kind of belief in Jesus. And they did go into hiding after he was crucified. They went into hiding, were scared for their lives. And then something happened when you know, when, when Christ resurrected, something happened the size of a resurrection, nothing else can explain it that would lead to the entire world changing, that would lead to these apostles not, not hiding, not only not hiding, but risking their lives and most of them dying for, to tell people what happened, to tell them that, yeah, he came back to life. I saw it. That means what he said is true. That means he's the son of God, the one and only son of God. Like, I saw it. I witnessed it. I experienced it. I experienced these miracles. And enough people back then um, professed that to their death that it, it changed the entire course of history. And they wouldn't have done that for a lie. They wouldn't have all universally said this lie that he came back to life if it wasn't true. There would be no benefit to them to do that. And so that to me is the sticking point here. It's did he live? Yeah. Did he call himself God? Yeah. Did he come back to life after death? Well, it sure seems that that is true. And if that's true, 
then what he said was true. What he said about being the son of God is true. And that's something we have to reconcile. That's something that we should think about. Well, what does that mean? If it's true, that changes everything. Yeah. So you, it sounds like you did due diligence to really look at the rational evidence for your belief. You're, you knew that God was real and you wanted to substantiate the truth of what you felt and experienced with God. And I appreciate that about you, that it, it is a, almost mind, heart, and obviously your life coming together all at once. Now, you, you said um, there was a moment where you had, it sounded like everything the world had to offer, but yet you were dissatisfied. Uh, that somehow all of your achievements and your success didn't fill up something in your soul. And I'm wondering, after belief and you found God, have you has that sense of emptiness been filled? That sense of dissatisfaction moved to um, satisfaction or abundance? Did it did it make a difference? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it has. But I wouldn't say that it's a miracle cure all in the sense that life is still super hard. Like my son's medical concerns only got worse, you know, they're very severe. And so every day uh, we deal with that and there's no clear solution, you know, and it's, it's, it'll be a battle for the rest of his life. And yet I don't feel alone in that battle. So I remember just, you know, I take walks with my dog and um, especially when there, there's a lot of unknowns and I just feel like, okay, I pray every day, you know, and I say, okay, I think this is what I own. And I listen like, is that what I own? Okay, that's what I own. <laughs> and it's not God telling me, but it's a clear feeling like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do today. Please help me with that thing. If that's maybe it's an appointment with a doctor, that's what my focus is. And I do need to step forward into that. And then the the, the reminder, I've got the rest. And I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> You've got it, God. You carry the entire weight of this thing. You carry the future of my son, of me, of my entire family. You own it. You own all of it. And, and I'm going to do this one baby step today. And that's so much more manageable than thinking, what am I going to do next week? What am I going to do next year? What if this happens to him? What if? What about when I die? You know, who's going to take care of him? I don't worry about all of that anymore. I honestly don't. I like, God, what do I do today? That? Okay, I can do that. And it changes everything. I mean, it is just like having... Um, just the, your best friend, you know, your best parent, your best coach, like just telling you, I've got it. You do this. I do that. Teamwork, you know, that especially I'm thinking in the world, looking at the world today and there's just so much fear Yes, and, and uh, so much, I guess, sensed need for power among many, um, wherever you go. And so it, it, what I hear you saying is that you, you really have a, a peace um, yes. that you didn't have before and a sense of a really peace, whether it's in this life or what's to come. And, and I would imagine that would inform everything about your life. 
Yeah, it's it's very um, manageable. That's what I would say. Sort of no matter what happens. And I really mean that. I, I, I think the worst tragedy ever, I feel like I could manage it because I don't have to fix it. I don't have to lead it and I don't have to carry it. I can carry my part. And it's, it is a great sense of peace. And it takes work too. You know, I mean, I, I have to carve out that time in the morning to look back. And I, I thank God for what, what he's done for me the day before and acknowledge him. And, and I go through the Lord's prayer and then I look at my day ahead and I say, what am I supposed to do today? And it's usually one thing. And then I ask him to help several people in my life. And he does. And I go into my day and it is every single day like that. And it is now quite um, just peaceful. Yeah. It sounds like it's driven by both peace and purpose. Yeah. The and purposes that are not only in your world, but beyond yourself and purposes for the world, especially yeah. with what you've done with regard to prayer and bringing forth faith in the workplace in, in such a substantive way. Uh, you are to be applauded for that. I think that takes immense boldness and courage. And you are obviously a woman of those who possesses those things. So as we are um, coming to a close, I wondered if, if there was, picture your former self, <laughs> just angry, just resistant to God, no need for God. Perhaps somebody is just the least bit curious though. And um, you could be somehow that karate teacher. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, someone's life or just based upon your own journey. What would you tell a curious skeptic? I would totally empathize with them first, because I think a lot of Christians, when they're trying to convert others or they're trying to persuade others, go about it so poorly, you know, and that was my experience on the other side of things. So that's the last thing I would ever want to do is pressure somebody. So really just empathizing, like I get, you know, at least, you know, my reasons I get why to be skeptical. I think it's perfectly legitimate. I'm surrounded by people who are legitimately skeptical. You're not crazy. You're not, you know, a heathen. You're not all these terrible words that I think you might be depicted as. Um, it's awesome that you question. It's awesome that you push back. Like, this is so great. That's what God wants of all of us, you know? And if you're ever interested, I'm here for you. I mean, that's what I would say. I, I The worst thing you can do is pressure somebody you know, definitely from the perspective of the Christian who is trying to be the best follower of Jesus that you can be. I mean, don't, don't be ashamed of your faith, like own it, wear it um, proudly in the sense of um, never show shame for being a follower of Jesus. You know, he's a wonderful person to follow and son of God. And, and um, that's one thing. And the other thing is just be loving and encouraging and, you know, at the right time, people will ask you questions. Don't be afraid to bring it up in the sense of um, what's your faith background? You know, how did you grow up? What, what are your thoughts about faith? And really listen and care, but don't, don't manipulate, don't pressure, you know, that isn't your role whatsoever. And it's not reflective of Jesus. So I would just tell the, the, the skeptic, I totally get it. And that's awesome that you that you question. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because truth is not afraid of being questioned, right? Yeah. Jesus can take it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you want to add to your wonderful story before we end here, Sue? Any thoughts or anything you think that we've missed? I would end with um, Revelation is, you know, one of my favorite passages in there says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens the door, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. So I just want the whole world to know that that scripture, that God is waiting. He's never, he's been there the whole time. He'll be there the whole time. And he will come in as soon as you open the door, as soon as you say, okay, I give up. I actually can't solve this whole life thing on my own. I don't know how, but I guess, I guess I need God. I guess I'm open to God, you know, then he will come in. He will come in and and he will be there with you forever. So that's my wish. Well, you are certainly a living embodied testimony of that verse coming to life. And I'm so grateful to you, Sue, for telling your story. It is a beautiful story, an amazing character arc, (laughs) you know, (laughs) moving from complete disbelief to just an amazingly beautiful ambassador for belief in God and in Jesus and Christianity and, and the life that it can bring you. And I, I also appreciate your honesty with, with all of that. It's not all roses. You know, it, it, is, oh, yeah. it is a journey. It's a daily struggle. Um, but, I, but just like you said, there is someone who's greater, who's in control, who loves you, who is with you and for you and has purposes for you. And, and in Him we have peace. So with that, um, again, thank you, Sue, so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Side B Podcast to hear Sue's story. You can find out more about her, her blog, her work with Faith Force at her website, www.leanership.org. That's L-E-A-N-E-R-S-H-I-P.org. I'll include this along with some of her recommended resources in the episode notes. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at the Side B Podcast at cslewisinstitute.org. I hope you enjoyed it, that you'll follow and share this podcast with your friends and social network. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time, where we'll be seeing how another skeptic flips the record of their life.